Welcome to the Boost Your Boutique podcast. I'm your host, Emily Benson, corporate merchant turned boutique owner turned consultant. I want you to start, grow, and scale your boutique business right here with me. If you're ready to master your mindset, margins, and marketing, you're in the right place. Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the Boost Your Boutique podcast. I'm your host, Emily Benson. Today is part two in my Lula Rich series. I posted in my Facebook group uh, when the Amazon Prime documentary launched in September, like, hey guys, I binged the, I binged it. Did you guys binge it too? And do you want to hear what I think about it and what I think about LuLaRoe? And the response was a little bit overwhelming. (laughs) And of course, I proceeded to get sick and lose my voice for two weeks. (laughs) So I couldn't record anything. So here I am a little late to the game, but you know, no big deal. I'm really trying to dig into big picture-wise, retail-wise, business-wise. What did LuLaRoe do that was right? What did they do that was kind of wrong? And then how it affected the boutique industry. I will say that all these opinions expressed on these podcasts are my own. I was never a LuLaRoe seller. However, I consulted and worked with hundreds of LuLaRoe consultants. Um, What happened, honestly, in about 2016, 2017, is I started to see people reach out to me because they needed help. They They weren't getting the business training from LuLaRoe that, frankly, I would have expected them to provide. And so I was kind of getting this trickle of clients, which really threw me into trying to understand how how this business worked from the outside and how to reconcile it in my own retail brain of like, whoa, some of these things are doing are really weird. I don't get it. <laughs> who's making up these? Who's making this stuff up? And then, you know, other things like in my first uh, episode of the series, there was a lot that they did right. I started to develop some programs for consultants. I mean, I had probably like two or 300 people go through those programs and they were like, thank God, like, thank you for providing this. Like, I've learned so much. I now feel like I have a handle on how to buy things. And, you know, I have a different perspective that I'm not getting from within the company. And it made me feel good. I, I actually reached out tried to reach out many times to the owners or try to find someone that was in charge and say, hey, like, can I come do some trainings? Like, I I feel like I could be helpful for you guys and I'll keep my rate low, you know, (laughs) but I really felt like I could make a difference. Um, None of my requests were responded to and that's cool too uh, because I just decided on the side to help support people on my own and hopefully they would find me and word travels fast within within women's circles and I think um, I was really lucky to be able to try to help a bunch of people uh, because... I don't think you guys are really getting the help you needed if you were a consultant. Um, and that was kind of sad to me. And, and it actually made me really angry. At one point, it made me so angry that I did a whole Facebook Live that ended up going on YouTube, which has like over 15,000 views, where I said, like, stop listening to your upline was the name of the, the video, because I was like, stop listening to them. They literally have no idea what they're talking about. And the whole this whole structure is so screwed up. And like, 
no one seems to understand how retail works in this company. Like, why aren't they hiring an old chief merchandising officer from American Eagle? Or, you know, like, I wanted to, like, send them some friends to hire and just be like, get a handle on what's going on. Like, you guys don't understand how retail works. And it's super clear in how you're educating these women and how you're running the business. And you know, I guess that's the start off to how <laughs> they did things wrong is, you know, really, they hired a bunch of family. We saw that in the Amazon Prime special you know, listen, it's all good to hire a family, but they need to have experience and knowledge and, and know-how in these areas. And it doesn't really seem like a lot of them did. Retail is a very old industry. It goes back to when we used to barter things and the general store. And there's no reason that if you start a retail business, you should not hire a retail consultant or hire someone who's done this before, because there's plenty of us out here uh, running businesses, running companies. I mean, good God, I have people that I've worked with years and years ago that are now like executive vice presidents, chief merchandising officers at some of the biggest companies like American Eagle, like Abercrombie, like Limited. I, I should say like Bath and Body Works, but you know, L brands, like these people used to be my friends. They're extremely intelligent people. And I'm sure for the right price, they would have gone helped, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's really like one of the biggest things I saw is it was just a bunch of blind leading the blind. Like no one in, in the company had any retail experience whatsoever. And I think that really hurt the company as a whole, how it ran, you know, just from a production, design, development, production, manufacturing standpoint, distribution standpoint. Obviously, they had no one running that distribution center who would ever run a massive distribution center, which again... <laughs> Go to Ohio and uh, drive south of Columbus and you could for sure pick up some people who had run massive distribution centers uh, who could come and help you. But, you know, keeping it within the family and, you know, not hiring people who really knew what they were doing, I think it really hurt the company. And I think there's a lot of what I see from just watching that um, documentary and seeing kind of what happened. There was a turning point where it kind of went south. But man, like if they had hired some good people and brought some really good expert people in who you know, literally had done this for 20 years in their career, they could still be really killing it and still have a ton of consultants and still be doing really, really well. But... They didn't hire good people. They didn't think about infrastructure or supply chain or the design and development and distribution process. And on top of that, they just kept adding new people, new consultants to the lineup constantly. So, you know, one of the things that I always work on with my clients is like, yeah, great, let's get you to million, you know, two million, five million dollar years, but let's build the back end to support it. Like, let's make sure you're still shipping within a couple of days. Let's still make sure you're, you know, able to answer all the customer service emails. When you grow that quickly, it's really is catastrophic. I think they, they called it catastrophic growth in, in the documentary. And I really agree with that because I, I always say, you know, the one thing I want most people to avoid is growing too fast. When you grow too fast, you can't keep up with it. It's a runaway train. And I think this was the uh, extreme version of that. And I think in terms of taking on too many reps, from a certain perspective, growing it that quickly, it seems like it started to become more about the money and not about the people and the product. And I think if there's anything we've learned from Marcus Limonis and one of my favorite television shows, The Profit, is that in any retail business, any forward-facing customer business, the people and the product are the most important. 
when you don't protect your people and when you don't deliver good products, that's a really big disaster waiting to happen. And I think because the infrastructure and supply chain was off, you did suffer with the product. And when the product suffered, right, like we saw in the documentary about the smelly leggings and leaving inventory outside and all that stuff, it did become about the money and not protecting the people. And I think that's like a huge, huge piece of growing any business. It has to be about your customers. It has to be about your employees. If you're not protecting them, what are you doing? I think the biggest issue too was like they never admitted anything was wrong. Like as I was watching the interview with Mark and Deanne, when they got into the conversation about the smelly leggings and the weird prints and, you know, all the kind of the funny stuff in the product that happened. Really, they had product defects. Headquarters never admitted to doing anything wrong. They never admitted that the product was off. And if there's one thing we can learn from this is that when either someone in your company screws up or you screw up you take immediate responsibility for it. You accept the responsibility, you apologize, you make it right, and you move forward in a better way. That whole debacle of there's nothing wrong, everything's fine, kind of gaslighting consultants and then in turn consultants having to gaslight their customers, it just created this trickle effect of really bad karma. There was probably a point where someone needed to step up and say, listen, like we need to just admit that we're wrong. We need to admit that we screwed up with this product, take it back, give refunds, deal with it. Like, let's just suck it up and move on. Whoever was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to keep moving forward. That's such a big missed opportunity. And I think one of the things we can learn as we grow our own businesses is there's going to be mistakes. You know, hopefully they're not multi-million dollar mistakes like they made, but there's going to be mistakes. And even in my corporate career, When I worked at Abercrombie & Fitch, they had a rule. They said, uh, you can screw up three times. You can make three pretty big mistakes, but after the third, you're done. You're going to get fired. Um, And you kind of like signed up for that. I don't know if we actually had to sign a contract, but I remember it being like a thing because everyone that I started with, like everyone I worked with was like 22 to 25 years old. We were all just like out of school. We were putting these really big jobs, running these like, you know, I was placing purchase orders for like millions of dollars. And obviously with supervision, this was not like just on my own. You were allowed to mess up, but like not too many times. (laughs) And I think that is a nice way to put it of, listen, like we know mistakes are going to happen. We're running a business. There's going to be stuff that gets missed. We're moving at a fast pace. Uh, We're growing really quickly, whatever it is, not admitting the mistake, not taking responsibility for it and making it right. I think that's where the mess ups happen. That's where the distrust comes from. And that's where I think, at least in how they told the story on the, the documentary, that feels where like things really took a turn. Again, this is one of those opportunities where hindsight's 2020. Obviously, you know, no one can go back to that time frame. But I do think that in your own business, if something goes wrong, something, you know, you mess up, like just admit the mistake and apologize. Like we're all human, you know? And I think this was a huge mistake. This was a huge screw up that no one apologized for. And no one, no one even addressed it. They were like, that's not a problem. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. Admit to your mistakes, guys. Like, it's okay to do things wrong. It's okay to mess up, but like, move on. Now, I do also think that in terms of sort of the infrastructure and supply chain issues that were inevitably caused by growing fast enough, I don't think that they expanded out of leggings soon enough. I think 
really they rode the train of their leggings and and some tops for way too long. I was always like, when are they going to come out with new stuff? Like, I'm, I'm over the leggings. We've been doing that for a year or two. Like, let, what's next? And I think this is something we all have to learn is when you expand your assortment, you create a, wor- a more well-rounded brand. You, cu- you create an experience. You create an assortment. You create a lifestyle brand, truly, where people can come to you and buy a whole outfit. And I think it took them way too long to move out of jersey, spandex, knit, anything period to into other fabrics and just into other styles i think they could have really captured a bigger audience and and more customers and kept their consultants happier if they did that quicker Um, but again that's comes from not knowing how to run a retail business and not hiring experts and just saying well we sell a crap ton of leggings so let's just keep selling leggings you know it's it's low-hanging fruit it's like to me that's like the easy way out is just keep doing what you're doing you know but in retail, having been in the industry for, I don't know, 15, 17 years, like a long time now, it's about innovation. It's about pivoting. It's about growing a brand through innovating your product, taking what works and making it better, taking what works and finding those sister cousin products. I think that part of that comes from being really focused on this idea of like blessing lives and not building businesswomen. Like, I think how powerful is the slogan of let's build a bunch of businesswomen out there making their way in the world. Like, I always think of Romy and Michelle, (laughs) Romy and Michelle, when they like roll up to their lunch and they're like, oh, we're businesswomen. We'd like the businesswomen's lunch special. Like, I want to create businesswomen. I want to create women who are empowered in their finances, empowered in their business. And yes, will the result be potentially blessing your life yes but like let's not lead with that that promise always kind of like I was like but this is about business like it's about business and yes business is always personal but business kind of like I don't know it always kind of was weird to me anyone who promises to magically change your life and not teach you how to do it through data and and information I get weary of you know guys if you come to me I'll be like well what are the numbers behind that <laughs> what what is your sales numbers how many have you sold even just having people focus on selling units was so weird to me with LuLaRoe and Agnes and Dora. People would be like, oh, I, I need to sell 120 units this month. And I'm like, well, what's the average retail price? And I'm like, what? And I was like, well, why aren't you basing this off revenue? Why are we basing this on units? You guys sell 100 units of a $2 product. Who cares? It's $200. Are you going to sell 200 units of a, of a $100 product? I'm way more interested in that. You know, so I think that's the other thing, too, is because they weren't based in retail, they weren't looking at the correct metrics. And I see this happening in some other companies, too, that are starting up and and kind of growing is I'm always like, damn, like you're just not focused on the correct metrics to grow a business. Like it's just it's weird. Like retail is such a specific business. And the more I see non-retail people getting into retail, I'm like, geez, just hire hire a retail consultant, please. And I think, frankly, you know, having people start businesses they can't afford to start is crazy. I will say all the time, you can start a retail business for a hundred bucks, maybe a little more. Inventory wise, you could buy a hundred dollars worth of retail product and flip that and flip that and flip that and make money. However, I see so many people in these Facebook groups, even to this day, being like, well, I don't really have the money to start. How do I get a loan or how do I get a this or, you know, how do I put it on a credit card? Like, don't. Like, don't do that. You know, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Wait longer. Save more money. 
sell stuff on Poshmark. I don't know, babysit, walk dogs, like keep a good savings account, build that up to a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars, and then spend like a third of it to start your business. Keep money in the bank. Like, you know, I am even with my own personal finances, I hold back. I have money in the coffers all the time. We have savings in multiple different places and IRAs. And that's one of the things is I think we've gotten into this credit card world and, and it's just a problem. Like it's just a problem for Americans in general. And I think that, you know, when you start a business you can't afford, you set yourself up to fail, period, bottom line. I'm all for people going for their dreams and taking risks and putting themselves out on a limb. Do not bankrupt yourself to do it. Do not put all this money on credit cards to do it. Just please don't do that. There's no guaranteed success in any business. If we're going to set ourselves up as women for financial freedom, we have to be doing that from day one. We have to be thinking about how much do I have in my savings account? Can I live for six months on, on the money I have in savings? That is so important. So right, I mean, I think that was very clear in the, the documentary that starting a business you can't afford is never a good idea. So just throwing that out to anyone here that's new and listening <laughs> and wants to start their business tomorrow but doesn't have the money, just keep saving. You'll get there and it will happen faster than you think. Savings is truly a sm- snowball effect. Once you start saving, you get really jazzed from it and you're like, ooh, ooh, let me keep saving. Ooh, how much <laughs> how much can I save? Okay, I'm getting off topic. LuLaRoe, what they did wrong last, last, last thing here. And this again is my own personal opinion, as is everything on all my podcasts. (laughs) It's all me. And this is something I was actually talking to my husband about too, because he didn't watch it with me, but you know, we were kind of recapping together and I was telling him what was up. And he's, he was like, we both were like, geez, they should have sold the company. Like they should have sold LuLaRoe when they were at the height of their revenue. They should have sold it to a retail investment company. They should have sold it to some retail consulting group uh, and walked away. You know, maybe still they maybe maybe negotiate some disbursements in there, Um, you know, negotiate to still be kind of on the board or get a percentage of something, but walk away, take your money and run. And I think that's a lesson to a lot of you who want to grow businesses, you know, once you get to the five, 10, $20 million range, $50 million a year range, sell it, move on, walk away. <laughs> like You don't have to run this business for the rest of your life. You know, the, the beauty of growing a business is also selling it. And again, I know we have emotional attachments to our businesses. Um, and maybe they didn't want to sell because, you know, the books weren't that great or, you know, it didn't occur to them or whatever. But man, they could have made so much money just walking away and being done and just chilling out, you know, like, there's a certain point, I think, um, that's really interesting, where people get so emotionally attached to their businesses that they just don't want to walk away. And who knows if it's emotions, if it's money, if it's scarcity mindset, I don't know. But at the end of the day, their their business was poised to sell to I mean, God, they could have sold to Amazon or Nordstrom. I mean, geez, like there's so many opportunities. Sell it to Alibaba, a Chinese investment company. They could have walked away with probably a billion (laughs) dollars. Just lived off that, Um, which I find just such a missed opportunity. And just really interesting. Like you never know what's going on with, with people that run companies. And, you know, I can never be in their shoes. But, you know, hindsight is 2020. And man, they should have sold like, probably two years ago, three years ago. And uh, you probably should sell your company at some point too, if you get to a certain point. You can still be involved. 
you could still do things. You could still get disbursements. But wouldn't it be nice to just be retired at 40? I don't know. Sounds good to me. You know, do charity projects, maybe open a flower cart at the flower market, at the farmer's market. Sounds lovely to me, but you know, I'm not everyone else. This is what I think that LuLaRoe did wrong. There's a lot. There's still a lot they did right. But again, I still think we can learn from all this. Like the reason I'm doing this podcast series is because we can learn from other companies, other people's mistakes, other people's triumphs. We can learn from that. I really wanted to do this series not to be like a jerk and say like, oh, LuLaRoe stinks. I don't necessarily think they do. But I think there's a lot to learn. And I think an, a company like like LuLaRoe, who had such a big impact, who still continue to have a big impact, especially with this documentary coming out, we should learn from it. Like this is a retail history lesson uh, that we should learn from. And so hopefully you enjoyed me chatting about what I saw wrong. And these were definitely things I saw wrong kind of all along the road. And then, you know, interestingly enough, there was a few things I picked up during the documentary that I was like, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, okay. Uh, But, you know, to be honest with you, I could have come out with this podcast like two years ago (laughs) before Lula Rich. And I think if you go on my YouTube channel and you look for the, the episode called, you know, Stop Listening to Your Upline, you'll probably hear me saying the same exact things. So hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of the Booster Boutique podcast next week or next Lula Row episode, I'm going to talk about how it affected the boutique industry and the ripple effect that's happened. If you love what I'm talking about, you love the podcast, and you haven't yet left me a rating or review in where you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review because honestly, that is how more people find me. That is how more people get to, you know, grow their business in a, in a great way. And I would love for you to just quickly go on your phone right now and do that. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time on the Booster Boutique Podcast. Bye-bye.